When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to this week's podcast, The Irish Diaspora in Canada. And the Irish Diaspora is one of the categories in this fascinating collection of 83 recordings. Many Irish people left the shores of Ireland for a better life abroad, and Canada was a popular destination for a lot of Irish people. We now listen to the voices of some of those people that emigrated to Toronto. And we start with Bill Neal, who grew up in Belfast. He emigrated to Canada in 1972, and he talks to us about his first impressions and meeting his extended family there for the first time. I came out in 72 and met these people and was really uh, um, captivated, uh, first of all, by the side of the family that we had lost, and secondly, by the way of life. You know, I just, I loved the sense of space. You know, I loved the big everyone's home, especially outside Toronto, you know, but homes were on big lots and people drove big cars. I mean, it was the early 70s and it was just, yeah. and, you know, a middle class life in Canada was was light years ahead of a middle class life in, in Ireland or in England. You know, I mean, you work in class in Belfast and you live in a council estate, sorry, you're middle class and you go and you get a home in Bangor or you know, um, County Down somewhere or north of Belfast, uh, County Antrim. You could have a very nice life, of course, but there wasn't much to aspire to. Yeah. Where, you know, here you could you could do whatever you wanted. You were only held back by your own determination or knowledge or whatever, but it was all within you. And so... My uncle in Edmonton helped me get out here. There was a point system at the time, and while I had my A-levels and good job experience, Canada at the time was looking for plumbers and electricians and all those boys that went to the secondary school. <laughs> well, I snuck into the grammar school, you know. <laughs> but he, um, he, I got turned down a couple of times, and then I agreed on my application that I would go to Edmonton, where... Um, uh, you got an extra three points because it was a development area in Canada and he set up a job for me which somehow managed to pass through immigration and got me some points it didn't exist but I, I imagine lots of people got in that way 
Bill had a very successful career in the newspaper industry, and here he tells us about his first day at work. I started work in the post on Monday, nine o'clock. I'm sitting at my desk smoking, right? As was everyone around me. I'd got in about eight thirty, but there was nobody there because people started at nine. So at nine o'clock, someone showed me to my cubicle, and at about nine thirty. A gentleman came up, and he was wearing a leather apron, and you know, sort of rough clothes. And he came up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around. And he said, "Are you Billy Neal?" And I said, "I am." Mm-hmm. And he said, "I'm John Armstrong." I said, "I'm pleased to meet you, John. And I can tell you're from home." And he says, "I am indeed." And he sat down, and he was the Grand Master of the Loyal Orange Lodge in Toronto. James McVitie was born into a Catholic family in Belfast in the 1930s. And he recalls the terrible poverty in the city at the time. And leaving Belfast in 1956 to emigrate to Toronto. Born into a sort of a middle class family. And then things went wrong for my father. He had a little business and lost it. And uh, he then, like a lot of Irishmen, he took off to England and left us. Your mother and your siblings? Yeah, and, and then we finished up sleeping in one room in Belfast in Hamilton Street five in the bed and that kind of thing whereby uh, my mother used to go out at uh, 4.30 in the mornings to wash out a bank on her knees with a scrubbing it out in a bucket for I think she got two shillings or half a crown for doing that and then she'd come home, say, around 8.30 and send us off to school. And we're living in a ghetto in the market district in Belfast. James lets us know how he managed to get to Canada. Here's another story for you. One of the boys that had went, my friends, had come home. One of our other friends at the, from the dancing school was getting ordained a priest in Armagh. His name was John Stewart. So Bob Nesbitt said to me, come on, we're going. And he had made a few dollars out here, and we went by taxi down to Armagh. So I went home that night. Nesbitt had got in touch with me, and he said, in the morning, we're going to Armagh. So anyhow, make a long story short, on the way back from Armagh, I said, and when are you going back? He said, next Saturday. I said, I'll go back with you. <laughs> go away, yes. Where do you hear this? I went round to the immigration office on Monday morning, pulled the lorry in, up the stairs, seen this girl, Winnie McGee. She said, God bless us, what are you doing here? I said, what do you think I'm doing here? I'm going back with Bobby Nesbitt to Canada next Saturday, if I can get through well, she said, the manager's not here, but uh, they're out having their tea or something. So I said, well, I'll come back. 
So I went down the stairs and I meet these two men. And I said to them, are you the boss here? He said, yes. Well, I said, I want to go to emigrate to Canada next Saturday. He said, what did you do, rob a bank? Come on up the stairs, he said. So I told them. He said, well, I'll tell you what, go get your medical. And if you can get your medical, have you got a, have you got a passport? He said, I said, no. He said, I'll get you to Canada. And I got my medical, and I was in Toronto the following su- Sunday night. What year was that? 1956. My goodness. And I sat on the bed with my friend, come back with him, over in St. Helens Avenue, and I was feeling down. Uh, I left my mother, I left my brothers and my girlfriend, and you know, Morris, I had never remembered my mother kissing me, ever, ever, till I was going away. And it really broke my heart. Frank O'Brien was born in Cork City in 1931. He played his rugby with Cork Constitution and was selected to play for Munster. He emigrated to Canada in 1954 and he explains here that it was his rugby connections that helped him on the way to becoming an entrepreneur in the city. I was born in 1931 and mother and father bought Riverstown House. So we lived in Riverstown uh, through most of the 40s and then moved back to the city. Things weren't really robust in Ireland. There didn't be, appear to be a big future in building houses there at that time. So uh, a friend of mine was emigrating to Canada and he came to Canada and he's written to me saying that Canada was a great country. Who was your friend? My friend's name was Joseph Waters. And what was he doing? Well, his family had hardware stores in the city. What did you know about Canada other than your friends being here? Well, uh, at the time, the, uh, they were building the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway and the early warning, the Dew Line, which was the early warning radar thing. So there appeared to be a lot of construction jobs, and construction was really my thing. As a matter of fact, when I came here, it seems to me that of a class of 36 engineers that graduated from Trinity that year, that most of them came through Toronto. Some of them stayed. In fact, I still know one guy that's still here, but uh, this was... uh, In In the late 50s, it was the place to come to. This was still the early 50s. This was still... 50, this was 54. 54, yeah. Uh, uh, and the, what were your impressions? You know, when you arrived here, uh, uh, were you on your own? Yes. And you had only the one contact? Yes, at that time. But uh, there was a rugby club here, and somehow the president of the rugby club, who was and uh, obviously an, an Irishman, he was to Irish rugby, had heard I was coming and had heard I played for Munster, so uh, 
he was on the phone within days. So I met in a, a super group of people, members of the Toronto Irish, and uh, they helped me get established in getting a job. The Quinn family run a very successful hospitality business in Toronto, and after the death of Pat Quinn, his wife Anne and their two sons, Paul and Patrick, continue to run the business. And here explains where Pat's entrepreneurial skills all started. He trained in Woolworths, so he was a Woolworth manager, and they—that um, was his training after he left. Um, he went to St Mel's College in Longford, and when he finished there, he went working with Woolworths. And, um, and that's where he started. That's really, where he started, you see. Yeah, and uh, would have got a lot of that training. Uh, was yeah. it Longford he was manager of yeah, Woolworths? Wor- yeah. No, 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 yeah. no. It would have been in um, Galway. Galway, Galway. Yeah, he was also in Limerick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about Cork. But anyhow, um, he um, so he was very good at display and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, profit margins and... Well, well, that kind of background would Mm -hmm. have given him the uh, ideas that uh, he afterwards put into practice. But he he grew up with it because his mother had a pub and and a grocery in Clune in County Leitrim. And uh, then his dad was a guard and uh, the dad left the guards and got in, came out and decided to put a big Bedford truck on the road and, you know, deliver all around the countryside and that. So that was part of Pat's job during his summer holidays and Christmas holidays and all of that sort of thing. They also had the undertaking business in uh, Clune as well. So they were very entrepreneurial, the entire family, and Pat would have grown up with them because he was the first grandson, or the first, yeah, the first grandson of that big family. So... Okay, now coming back here again to to Toronto, that in itself is a story. I mean, how did that come about? The building and the name, or oh, the embassy. The no, no, I think. Um, yeah, no, no, uh, like for me, you're talking there about um, <clears throat> like for I suppose someone like myself, um, things I learned from my father would be. Um, uh, like it's all about the bigger team like my dad working I think he was a great people person from the people and the suppliers he worked with to the people who worked for him and then to the customers I think he had a great ability to get along with them all and although he might have been the front of Quinsworth I still think he was a big believer and he always instilled in us it's like the bigger team like it's all of the people he just happened to be the a more flamboyant and able to do a, a better presentation of the front and then here I just think we were working hard and the market market in Toronto was um, a very um, uh, waspy society so the the liquor laws were very rigid and it just happened to be a time like 20 years ago when it started to open up and we were fortunate there was um, there was some great locations coming and that building is actually the British colonial building and uh, it came available and it's a very like the beautiful building 1860 so we were able to get it and you know we, we my mum always used to be saying about we have to call something like it has to be really Irish not all the different names because my dad loved the whole we'll just call it Pat Quinn's so I think 
through mutual talk whenever we came up with the Irish Embassy because you know it was kind of catching the building was suitable, was and that's idea? what we no well, we're all talking so, and uh, people popping up. I think who'd remember? So that's what we went for, and then the consulate, um, the consul, the Irish consulate to Toronto, who's a good friend of my dad's, uh, Ted McConnell. I think got a phone call from a few people saying this wasn't maybe really suitable, and he came and had a meeting with my dad, and the two of them figured it was was more than suitable, and I think he set up shop in there with my dad, and the two of them, and if people wanted passport or whatever they knew where to find them um are you have you lost your irishness are you do you see yourself as canadian or no irish Irish. yeah i'm irish i still go home on holidays yeah but when i go home on holidays i'm always very happy to come back here because what do they say home is where your heart is my children are here my grandchildren are here yeah. So, so I, I still say I'm going home when I go home to Ireland. I love going home. Pat and I used to go home two or three times every year when his mum was alive. Then when his mum passed away, like it was twice a year, less for family weddings and stuff. Bill German was born and grew up in West Cork, and his ancestors were there for 200 years before him. I can trace back, uh, uh, well, certainly before 1800 so like if it's not recent um my and my grandfather would have come to my townland which is uh, west of skull he would have come there in um the late 1800s uh, from ballady hob right and uh, a farming background they, they were all farming background yes he worked with the irish trade board known as Corus Troctola, and then he was posted in 1984 to the Toronto office. He talks about the Irish community in Toronto at that time. Your introduction here to Canada, why, tell me about that. It okay. happened just soon so, after. So I went, as I say, four years back to Dublin, and I went back into the promotion of services, so I, I was again spending uh, not as much time, but involved with the Middle East and Africa. And then the Toronto office came up for, for uh, replacement. Mm. And so this was 1984, and things were quite bad at home. And uh, I decided, you know, I, had, you know, I was kind of young enough to do one more overseas posting, get away from the bad times for a few years, but absolutely no intention of staying here. So I was posted here to the Toronto office of the Irish Trade Board. Uh, I, I call it the Irish Trade Board, which is the English for Corus Tortola. In, in 1984? In 1984, with absolutely no intention of staying. Kept my house in Dublin and everything. Were and you I married at the time? Yeah, I just got married before I went to New York, so I came out here with one two-year-old kid and came out here early March, and my second kid was born in May. Uh, so and I had a third one later. Did you try to find an Irish... Uh, club to join or <laughs> did you get involved well, in any way it, it, it was easy for me in that sense I mean compared to if you think of immigrants coming out now because because I was the Irish trade board there was a lot of built in Irish connections here who were going to contact me and bring me into the community do you know um, the interesting thing is that just before I <coughs> came here we had Aer Lingus had an office here um, Board Falcha, CIE, IDA, 
and I think there might have been one on the trade board, five offices. So Aer Lingus disappeared, IDA disappeared, Board Falcha joined in with our office. They were a subtenant of our office. So when I came out, um, Sean Murphy had just come out to Board Falcha a year before me, so that's where I (coughs) met him. Oh, yeah, I see, yeah. But in fact, I I was so involved in the Irish community that I spent too much time drinking downtown with some of them in my early days. <laughs> I'm here in Toronto, in the outskirts of Toronto, in a place called uh, Eglinton. Young Eglinton. And I'm with Sean Murphy. Your time in Board Fulcher, uh, can you describe to me what, uh, what those years were like in, in Ireland in, in, the 50, in the 60s in Board Fulcher? It was very interesting and a great learning experience. I had two shifts in Board Falcha, one immediately after the checking the hotel guide. There were four school kids taken in who had finished school, and I was kept on, and I joined. My mentor, actually, was a gentleman called Jim O'Brien from a good County Cork man, uh, and uh, Jim O'Brien was the Untholstal and Special Events Officer at the time. So he kept me, uh, I joined him, and then I stayed with him for two years, 60, 61, into 62, and then I headed off to London for additional learning. As, a, as the years progressed then, uh, through the 60s into the 70s, uh, uh, what happened? You know, were you working your way up the ladder, or uh, were you getting more involved? Yes, I worked my way up the ladder. I, I, I became a travel facilities officer initially, and my basic job there was to open up the access. And we, I was heavily involved in the, in the formation and the starting of Irish Continental Line, for example, in 1968, I think, how did that come about? Uh, just a load of, of entrepreneurs uh, got together, and uh, it, it, we were trying to have an access to continental Europe without having to use the land bridge, as we call it, of Britain. And uh, so the St. Patrick started service. I think it started in the '69 or '70. And it uh, has become a phenomenal success, as you well know. That was your life until when? When did you decide to come over here to... to no, I didn't decide to come here at all. Uh, I, the, the, our new chief was a guy called Michael McNulty. Uh, we had a disagreement. Uh, I lost, and I was given 48 hours to get to Sydney, Australia, or Toronto, Canada. I picked Toronto, Canada, because we were only a five-hour flight, five or six-hour flight away, and I, re- I, I reckoned that they'd want me back within a year. Well, I was so naive. Like I, I honestly expected a phone call here when I came here uh, saying, Murphy, come back. And it took me, I suppose, two years for the penny to drop, that, like the gig was up. So then I took the early retirement and I, I, I actually decided to set up a commercial Irish tourist board. And that's the company I'm running today, 23 years later, by the way, the Irish Travel Bureau, or more affectionately known today as irishtravel.ca. Uh, how did you get started over here? 
Uh, well, going through all the paperwork, like you have to get all the licenses and you have to get all the approvals and you had to get a, a spot to pitch the tent. So here we're still at 88 Eglinton Avenue West in Toronto, which is Midtown, by the way, not out out the country, just Midtown. And Why did uh, you pick this particular uh, area? Young Eglinton was where I came from. Like when I arrived here, in, I arrived Canada Day in 1983, by the way, July the 1st. And other than the Delta Chelsea Inn is where I stayed for the first six weeks. But my first home on my own was at Young and Eglinton. I felt madly in love with the area and decided that this was the place for the office. So it has been very good to us for 23 years and hopefully we'll make 25 in a year and a half, 2014. What was Toronto like in the 1980s? It was just coming out of... Uh, Toronto was a very orange... Uh, it, it was known as the orange headquarters of the world, actually, at the time. Like, for example, there was no way you could get a drink on a Sunday, anywhere. Uh, nowhere you could shop on a Sunday. Uh, no sports on a Sunday. Like, it was, it was a, pretty, a pretty strange place. But now, as you can see around this town, it's... Totally, totally and utterly changed. And most businesses here now are all open 24-7. Was there many Irish here <coughs> in, in the 1980s? Yeah, there were, yes, there were. Well, we've had... I run, there's a little historical story, by the way, that uh, Toronto in the 1840, during the famine, had a population of 25,000. And one day, uh, with, the, with the famine ships... Uh, about uh, up to 50,000 Irish descended upon the city. So it was literally an entire Irish town in the late 80s. Now, of course, there's a population of over 3 million in the city itself and probably 7 million when you count all the adjoining cities like Mississauga, uh, Hamilton, Niagara. Jerry O'Connor grew up in Dublin and he emigrated in the 1970s. He became a very successful banker, and he talks here first about his background. My father was an ordinary working man in Dublin, uh, raised uh, with my mother, raised five children. Uh, So we lived in the suburbs of Dublin, and uh, I went to university, UCD, And uh, after that, I was teaching for two years in Dublin. And then I went into the bank. So I was kind of sorting my way out. Where were you teaching? At Blackrock College. Uh, What what subjects were you teaching? I was teaching English and geography. And uh, why did you leave that? I mean, it it, it seemed like it was... uh, I I don't know. I I, I was actually a very good teacher, but I just had this... uh, instinct for business so I decided to go into to try business you know at that point in my life I was sorting out various options he recalls the day he arrived in Toronto I came here on September 21 1971 I remember the date very vividly I arrived in Toronto with literally with $100 and two suitcases no jobs, no friends, nothing. I literally arrived in the middle of the city. 
And why did you decide to come to Toronto in the first place? Well, immediately prior to coming to Toronto, I was working for the Bank of Ireland, and I absolutely hated working for the bank. I was totally frustrated working there. And at that time, you know, North America was um, a very exciting place. They were launching rockets to the moon, uh, and it just had this great uh, sense of excitement about it. And I always had this desire to travel. And I remember one day I was having a bad day in the office in the bank, and I said I came out on my lunch break, walked along the, the keys, walked along the Canal River, <clears throat> and uh, said, "Look, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving here, and I'm going to head off." And I had about a ten-minute conversation with my brother at the time, uh, who was working with me, and we kind of went through a, a process of elimination. Where are you going? Well, I, 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 I have nobody to sponsor me directly into the United States. Australia was too far away. I couldn't afford to go and come back. So that left Canada. The choices were Toronto and Montreal. I do not speak French. That ruled out Montreal. I ended up in Toronto. And looking for a job then, how did you go about doing that? Uh, I got my first job uh, after four weeks. I, my first job, I was an office manager with a company in Toronto, and someone had told me that when you go for interviews here, you have to be very aggressive, and it's not like the layback style. So I went in all cranked up, uh, and they offered me the job. And at the time, I had no rent paid for the following month. So I just, someone pressed the right button, I guess. I said the right things mm. and uh, got a job. A what company? It was a small insurance company here in Toronto. And uh, what was the name of it? Can you recall? Um, it was uh, General Insurance, way back. Right, and uh, well, that's 40, 42 years ago. Yes, I'm talking to David Power here in Toronto, in in the Royal Bank Plaza. This is uh, your uh, your office and your workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, David, can you take me back to uh, to where you're from originally? I was born in Ranla, in Dublin, 1946. Uh, one of six children. Um, we emigrated to Canada in October of 1953. Uh, both of my parents and and f- five, four of my siblings at that time. So there was five children, all under the age of 11. And we um, traveled to Canada by boat. We um, sailed out of Cork. Uh, we arrived six or seven days later after a particularly uh, stressful journey across the Atlantic by boat because of the time of year. It was the weather was pretty foul, so um, we were uh, all seasick for for seven days or so. And on arriving and seeing the shores of Canada, people were on the deck, sort of cheering that we had made it. Um, we landed in Quebec City um, probably early November, 1st of November strikes me as being the date, and we proceeded um, by train from Quebec City to Montreal, and then from Montreal to Toronto. We were picked up 
at the train station in at Union Station, which is which is right across the road from this building here. We were picked up by um, a family of people who had a connection to my father and mother back in Ireland. Right. Um, I think my um, my mother wanted to sort of have a new start in Canada and uh, um, with my father so and uh, she worked in a, a company Nicholson Brothers in Dublin and um, when she came to Canada she worked as well and she was in a office administration role mm-hmm. uh, worked um, at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto and various other jobs. Okay. Take me to the next stage of your life. Uh, you're, you're now uh, um, graduated, finished with college. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you go on to do... Um, yeah, I went to... Univer- level? I went to University of Toronto um, where I did an honours mathematics course. And then... Um, um, at, when I completed that, I decided to join a, an accounting firm here in Toronto, Coopers and Lybrand, and um, and obtained my chartered accountancy designation, which I did. And I worked, have worked with, uh, did work rather with uh, Coopers and Lybrand, and they subsequently became Price Waterhouse Coopers for forty years. Um, that took me. Uh, to various cities in uh, in Canada and the U.S. I worked in uh, Montreal and Ottawa and Edmonton and Chicago. In Chicago, I um, increased my uh, education by getting a master's in U.S. tax law. So I've been with the same firm or organization for a good 40 years now. Mm. And... Uh, I've quite enjoyed it, actually. It's been a challenging and kind of rewarding career. You have been listening to our special collection made with the Irish diaspora. The interviews were recorded in the spring of 2012, and since then, some of the interviewees have passed away. And we are most grateful to all of those who took part in this project. If you would like to hear the full interview, visit our website at www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 